Hey, well, hello there. Mike Pasco here with Dissecting Philately, episode 15. And I'm so glad you're here. Uh, this episode is going to be another one in the series of this podcast, and I'm here to offer glimpses into the philatelic adventures of an academic anatomist. Glad you're here. Let's get started with episode 15 with the following remarks. Well, it's been a real exciting time in the podcast world, so I wanted to bring you up to speed on these statistics. So I have gone up from 1,500 total plays to 1,600, so that's pretty good. I'll give you some normalized or relative play values because I put out you know, an episode uh, pretty regularly, and that bumps up the play count. So I just want to let you know that Right here and right now, 107 plays per episode. That's where things are sitting at. And the estimated audience size has gone down. And I don't really know what to make of that. 37 is not that far off from 41. And I also am putting out an episode a lot sooner in time than the um, usual. So maybe the audience size is going to grow. And we'll just kind of see how that trends. And I did look at some demographic information. The beauty of podcasting and the internet is you could be listening to this where no matter where you are in the world, as long as you are privileged enough to have an internet connection and a data plan. So 70% of consumers of this podcast are in the United States, 8% in the United Kingdom, and third place is 6% in Canada. So I don't really know what to make of that. It does seem like most people I bump into in the online philatelic space are United States um, based, but we'll have to see again how that trends over time. And then I get some good data from Anchor on the podcast platform that are used to consume this podcast. The most common far and away is Apple. Now that's Apple Podcasts, 38%. Now that means that it's the standard podcast app. Not too long ago, Apple broke up iTunes into a separate podcasting app. So that's whether you're on iOS on the mobile or whether you're in Mac OS on a laptop desktop, you, uh, most of you are listening to me right now through the Apple podcast platform, I think. And then second place is an app I had not really ever heard about before publishing a podcast. And that is one called Castbox. So if you're looking to, you know, if you're in the market for a podcast app, you haven't settled and you're looking for the most popular ones, for me, for this podcast, it's the Apple Podcasting app and something called CastBox. And I'm not surprised. I am was not surprised at all to find that 75%, three quarters of my listener base are male or identified and reporting as male. Uh, this certainly holds true to the stereotype of the typical stamp collector in my own experience. I'd like to see that percentage change, of course. Now, 34% is the most representative percentage of my age uh, groups, and that age group that is most represented is 35 to 44. Now, that's where I am. I'm in that age range. So maybe my podcast is appealing and connecting with those in my same generation, in my same stage in life. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. And of course, there's a, a you know two-thirds of my listener base are outside of that, but this is the most common, most popular age demographic. And that's the update on the podcast. It's been fun. I have some time right now to do this recording and to get things posted. And maybe my uh, 
template, maybe I've hit my cadence, maybe my frequency is a little better because I have a platform and a place to drop my ideas as I go. So other things I wanted to get you updated on are the video version of this podcast. I got to publish my first video version and overall I'd say it went well. I'm actually went so well that I'm going to continue to do this format for the foreseeable future. Of course, I want your feedback. I want to hear from you how it's going. I'm doing it again in the same way. Now, I did discover, I wasn't sure what to say last time, I did discover that if you want to consume this video in terms of the 10 or 12 podcasting platforms I see my podcast go out on, Spotify is the platform where you can watch the video. I don't know if Anchor and Spotify are connected and related in some way, but the video file I upload to Anchor gets moved over to Spotify. I don't know if the other podcast platforms can't or won't handle video. The audio version is definitely still out there, but Spotify is your way to go if you want to see the video. So it would seem. I don't know. I really didn't like the idea that only one platform would benefit from the video. So I went ahead and just, you know, I have a Gmail account, dissectingphilately at gmail.com. So I have a Google account, therefore, and I went ahead and activated my YouTube channel. So I have information on that. You can go to YouTube, you can search for Dissecting Philately. I've already got 15 um, subscribers and some, you know, handful of views on the first video. So I'm gonna go ahead and um, upload the video file that I get from Camtasia. Yes, I upload it to Anchor to go out in that way to Spotify, it seems like. But hey, YouTube is like the world's second most popular search engine, biggest YouTube video repository. So I'm gonna be putting these videos on my newly activated YouTube channel, creating philately, or dissecting philately. I think the audio still sounds good. Probably sounds better because I'm recording now that I think about it. I'm recording at my computer, obviously, because I've got the visuals, I've got the camera. And I'm using my Yeti Blue microphone, my USB microphone, which is studio quality, very high quality. So I think my audio not only sounds good, I think my audio probably sounds better. Historically speaking, when you go in the back catalog for this podcast, I was recording audio from my iPhone through the Anchor app. Again, super convenient. I will probably use the app, uh, the Anchor Uh, dot com app as I'm creating podcast episodes while I'm driving around or on site doing things. But for these types of episodes where I'm sitting back and giving you a lot of information, the audio is good through the microphone. There are some limitations, like I mentioned, beyond the video was only going out on Spotify. When I go in to look at the stats for my video, I don't get any stats, at least in the, the mobile app for anchor there are no stats and i really just don't know any more details about these episodes which you know i like having podcast level statistics episode resolution is not there and i don't know if that's a problem or not and i did spend a lot of time coming up with a workflow coming up with a pattern to add transition audio introduction audio outro audio I can't recommend the Anchor platform enough for these things. They have these free built-in, non-copyrighted um, audio. And it look, it sounded great, but I just don't have those. I don't work them in. I don't know how to work them in in this platform. And I'm not going to make time to do that. So if you're listening to this, 
that's where and why the audio transitions are gone because I don't have that library of little audio clips to add in. Okay, so now that we're all opened up and, and introduced and welcomed here, let's go ahead and get into some of the nitty gritty. You know this is dissecting philately, so let's have a little hat tip to anatomy and let's look at anatomy by the numbers anatomic number 15 well hey why don't you guess those of you that are watching the video what is this well this is an anterior view of the ankle joint the ankle is the articulation between the leg and the foot so why is what's the relevance to the ankle for the number 15 well let's go on a little explanation shall we your clue is it has to do with weight bearing through the leg well, anatomists do make a big point about this, that the leg is not the entirety of what is below your hip. Anatomically speaking, the leg is the region of the body that's found between the knee and the ankle. So maybe you know that, maybe you're learning that. Now, bones that are included in the leg, therefore, there are two long bones in the leg. These are the tibia and the fibula. And if we look at this kenhub.com derived, illustration, this anterior or in front of view, we can see the tibia as the larger of the two bones and then out to the side or anatomically we say lateral to this, we have the fibula. Now the fibula, the tibia, they come together and they meet up at the ankle joint with a bone of the foot called the talus. So the talus is a weight bearing bone of the foot and when we put the talus, the tibia and the fibula together, Yes, we can call this the ankle, but in medical terminology, this is the talocural joint. And we have some weight bearing that goes on. We have some weight transfer. The talus is the tarsal bone that is taking all of this weight from the foot. It's transmitting it up into the long bones of the leg. The tibia is getting most of this. The tibia is receiving 85% of body weight which means that the fibula is accepting the remaining 15%. We did it. We found an anatomically relevant uh, concept for the number 15, and that is the percentage of body weight that is accepted by the fibula. Kind of explains a couple of clinical observations. For example, fibular fractures uh, due to weight bearing are kind of rare. Uh, Stress fractures would be much more common through the tibia, I would imagine. And also, if somebody like a football player, I think, was it Donovan McNabb, played for the Philadelphia um, Eagles a while back, he sustained a fibular fracture, but that wasn't realized until after the game. He was able to play uh, at, you know, and quarterback the football game and really have not a lot of problems. I don't know what kind of pain meds he was on to make it through the football game. Uh, I assume most football players are on some kind of injection at some part of their body. But anyway, the fibula doesn't accept a lot of body weight. So that could be another explanation for why those kinds of fractures uh, can present and be different levels of problems for different people. So we did it. We got some anatomy in the episode. Uh, let's talk about some philately number 15. And I think I'm going to keep sticking with this theme for now. I might have to push myself to be a little bit more creative, especially when we consider number 15 in the Scott's catalog is not that different from Scott's number 14. So let's go down and let's explain the differences and the similarities. Now you'll probably recognize, if you saw the video last time, that this is the same design 
a very similar look to a number um, 15, okay? And uh, we'll talk about those similarities here. So again, the number 15, this variety of postage stamp has the same date of issue as the number 14. We'll see why in a minute. April 12th, 1885, almost 167 years ago to the day. 10 cent green denomination, the ink color, or 10 cent denomination, the ink color has been described as either green or dark green or yellowish green. And this is where we get some differences here. We have a type three. Now, a number 15 is a type two. A number, excuse me, 14 is a type two. A number 15 is a type three. So because of this difference in the design and the subtle difference in the production process, we have a different type. So it is understood in the Philatelic community that if you're looking at a type three of this 10 cent Washington stamp, that is gonna be a number 15 in the catalog. Now the printing method was exactly the same because the plate that was used was the same. Now there are many positions on a single plate. I don't know how many positions or how many replications of this design are on the plate for this issue. Somebody out there, drop in the comments, go to the Swedish Tiger website, theswedishtiger.com. There was a link to the plate details and you could get some more information there. Something like, I don't know, 50 to 100 is my guess. So that same plate was used, but a different position on the plate means a different design, different characteristics, so therefore a different type. And what that means is a different catalog number. The same group printed this stamp. Again, same plate same printing method, just a different position. So we're gonna have George Washington looking rather dapper there. Here's what's different. There were more positions on the plate for the number 14. So that was like 2,650,000. The number 15, fewer positions on the plate are defined as a type three. So that means that overall, the estimated number of 15s that were produced was 2 million. 2 million, 2.6 million, they're relatively similar. So the value for this postage stamp, the scarcity, the availability is about the same. I would say the demand is about the same myself. It is also gonna be an example of an imperforate stamp where those large scissors were used to cut the stamps apart from one another and the same usage. Same information about the letter rate we're talking about putting this stamp on an envelope, on a folded letter, I should say. Envelopes really weren't quite a thing at this time in the 1850s. Fold your letter up. If you're gonna tr send this greater than 3,000 miles, the postal clerk is gonna ask you to buy um, 10 cents in postage and you will probably use this stamp. Now looking at my um, album, yes, I do have a number 15. Let's take a look. So if I go to my Issues of 1855, I've got this page right here, and you can see my number 15 right here, okay? So I've got the number 14, I've got the number 15, uh, not very expensive. These are used examples. They've got a lot of cancellation on the face of George Washington, uh, but these are my number 14 and 15. Again, not too credibly uh, rare and expensive, but I'm glad that I've secured these and that they are in the collection. So 
that's your bit of philately by the numbers. And let's go ahead and continue on to philatelic updates. I'll have to maybe do a little bit better job of squeezing in some more anatomical information. I do kind of view this podcast as mostly directed to stamp collectors, but there's no reason why I can't do better and include some more anatomy. So what's been happening since we last checked in with one another? A lot of custom covers. So basically what a custom cover means is I have just taken your run-of-the-mill envelope and I have made a database of events that I think are worthy of commemorating. So let me take you through some of those events. So when I make a custom cover, what I like to do is I like to put some kind of visual representation of what the event is commemorating. And I like to put postage stamps on. And if I do a good job planning, I'm able to put postage stamps that are on the same subject matter. So I did a good job here with the AAA conference. That's the American Association for Anatomy, the professional organization for anatomists. Think of this as being very similar to the American Philatelic Society. And so what I did is I got some stamps from the 1960s and 70s, I think, an architecture stamp showing the architecture of Strickland, uh, the Philadelphia Exchange Building, Independence Hall, of course, on the commemorative postage stamp. Uh, when Pennsylvania became a state on December 12th, 1787. And lastly, a Philadelphia flag, a six cent issue showing the Philadelphia light horse flag, 1775. That's this one with the yellow design here at the bottom. So I affix all three of these postage stamps. It's really fun to lick and stick a postage stamp uh, that is uh, basically 50 years old. Um, get those on the envelope. These are very inexpensive to come by. I've got my design here, a silhouette or an outline of the state of Pennsylvania, and a little dot in the corner here for Philadelphia, the location of the conference. And then the last thing for me to decide is what post office am I going to go to to get the post uh, date postmark cancellation. So I happen to be staying at an Airbnb um, apartment that was steps away from the Benjamin Franklin house, the Benjamin Franklin post office. Uh, basically a really important um, old area of Philadelphia that's on Market Street and 3rd. And they were able to give me this very unique cancellation that I'm showing you right now. It is essentially a facsimile of Benjamin Franklin's signature with the date in a circle. So April 5th was an important date for me to get this cover created because it was the last day of the meeting. And I also stopped into... Um, Independence Hall, National Historic Park, um, the Franklin Court area, and I went inside the gift shop there, and they have, like many national parks do, a special uh, rubber stamp that you can use in. I think they mostly go in the national park passports, but of course, I'm more interested in putting these things on my philatelic covers. Let me run you through a couple of other covers that I made. April 15th, 2022 was the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's first baseball game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. So postage stamps came together for this one. The um, historic baseball fields issue of 2001, the Ebbets Field stamp is on there. That's where the Brooklyn Dodgers played before they moved to Los Angeles. They played in Ebbets Field in 1969, a 
Centennial stamp was issued to commemorate the 100th anniversary of Major League, like organized baseball. Many people point to 1869 as the first official year of Major League Baseball. And then I believe the second postage stamp in the Black Heritage series, the Jackie Robinson stamp from the 1970s. A nice 20 cent Black Heritage um, issue. And I love this stamp because look at what it shows. It shows Jackie Robinson, but look at what he's doing. He is depicted doing what no other Major League Baseball player has managed to do more times, and that is to steal home plate. Now, Ricky Henderson stole second and third base 1,000 1,400 times, something like that crazy. Lou Brock stole 938 bases, but Jackie Robinson stole home base, home plate, 19 times. That's like more times than many Hall of Fame baseball players combined. So he's stealing home in his signature move, April 15th, 2022, as the commemorative date for April 15th, 1947. That was 75 years ago. Oh, guys, it sucked getting this canceled. I thought it would be a good idea to go down to a post office in Denver because I took the family, my wife and daughters, to the baseball game, Colorado Rockies at Coors Field. So I thought I'd find a stadium or a post office four miles from the stadium. I went into a postal unit inside of a hardware store, convenience store. The woman said she couldn't do it. Now, This is hard. I mean, this is real diplomacy at its finest. This is people skills. I don't know why this would be turned down. I I mean, if you look in the manual of operations for the postal service, what the postal clerks are supposed to follow, it clearly says that stamp collectors can request the service. She was telling me that once I gave her this envelope, it would have to go in the back and it would have to go through the mail system. But I don't really want to risk that because I don't want the envelope to be damaged. So what I do is I request this handback service and I asked her why she couldn't cancel it and give it to me. She said because, well, okay, she didn't say why, but I offered her a convenient explanation. Is it because you're a postal unit? You're like a ancillary like appendix, like you're some kind of smaller version of a post office So she said, yes, that's why. I took my daughter and we left to go find another post office, which we did. We found another post office. I made the request. The first clerk said, I don't think I can do that. I have to take it to the back. I said, is there anyone else I could speak to? She said, go speak to my coworker down the way. I go speak to her. And again, it's a very tough sell. I'm getting a lot of pushback. So this time I pulled up the bookmark that I have of the USPS.gov website that is their operations manual. I hate being this guy. I hate pulling this move, but I was running out of time. I needed to get lunch. I need to feed my family. I need to get to the ballpark. So we, um, I show her, I ask her, you know, here, can you look on my phone? Can you look at this subsection of your code of operations? A, phil- a philatelist can request this service. So she pulls out her phone and she looks up something. Maybe she's texting somebody in the back. Uh, there, It was a little awkward. Um, I was awkward. She was awkward. Again, I've done this 40 or 50 times, and I very rarely get pushback on this. So to wrap things up here, she basically says that the problem is that my envelope does not have a picture on it. So I'm like, great. She's going to make me draw my custom can't cover on here, my artwork that I wanted to do a really good job doing at home, but I'm pressed for time, so I borrow her pen. I mean, at this point, 
you know, she could have served 20 to 30 people. I was there for 20 minutes while she was scrolling her phone, trying to figure out what was going on. So I get the artwork on there. I get the cancellation. I offer her my driver's license. I offer her, she takes a picture of my driver's license, or she, she goes in the back and photocopies my driver's license and my envelope, just in case I am somebody that's going to pull off a million dollar scheme with my one envelope that, uh, whatever, I don't really understand. The only thing I can think of is tax day was that upcoming Monday. This was a Saturday and I know this was a Friday. So she was probably, she kind of said to me in some very confusing terms that, you know, because it's tax day, we have to be super careful. I don't know, whatever, moving on. Um, there was also another really cool cover uh, to get together, and that was the American um, Osteopathic Association. They are celebrating their 125th year. So on April 19th, 1897, that's when the American Osteopathic Association was founded. And I happen to uh, recognize that in 1967 or something like that, they have a commemorative stamp for um, osteopathy. So I do work with a couple of doctors of osteopathy in my anatomy work. So I thought it would be cool to put together something. And again, I got postmarked at my local Lafayette post office. So now I have time to put something really nice on the cover. And speaking of baseball, um, on April, oh, this past Saturday, let's say April 23rd, I think it was, Miguel Cabrera hit his 3,000th career hit, which, you know, is already a rare occurrence, but he is the seventh Major League Baseball player to hit 3,000 times and have 500 home runs. So I'm holding the cover that I made on August 23rd, 2021 to commemorate the 500th home run of Miguel Cabrera. And now I was kind of thinking that maybe I'll have a postmark added here for the 3,000th hit. So he's one of seven Major League Baseball players to reach this milestone. So I've got that professional baseball stamp on there, and I've got the Tiger Stadium um, postage stamp in there from 2001. So those are my custom covers. I've got many more covers planned uh, for the next couple months, so I will keep you updated. I came across a really cool um, association, a society. So that's the Ebony Society uh, for postage stamps. I will show you a little bit more about this. I really want to amplify and highlight this um, because, again, it represents an underrepresented and underserved um, ethnicity in our country. And I want to give a lot of attention to this. So stay tuned for a little bit more on Esper. On my desk, you know, of course, I've got these covers to show you. But the other thing that I have on my desk that is philatelic related are these postcard stamps that I picked up today. I want to get back into uh, post-crossing. I want to post some uh, postcards. I've got a stack of postcards that I'm ready to send. And if you're not familiar with post-crossing, please look it up. I'll put a link in the show notes here um, to um, post-crossing. And it's a really cool way to send postcards to random people throughout the country and the world and also receive them yourself. And I am still looking forward to attending the Rocky Mountain Stamp Show. That is May 27th through the 29th. I've got the link to that stamp show in the show notes. So please take a look at however you can look at that information in your podcast app. There's usually a information page that you can look at. So please take a look at the information for the Rocky Mountain Stamp Show. 
And here is a screen grab of the header of that Esper um, society that I mentioned before. So that was esperstamps.org. It will take you to the Ebony Society of Philatelic Events and Reflections. So there's some really good material here. Um, there's a lot of information. You can, of course, become an, a member. You can read the reflections uh, from people in this area that are making observations on um, ebony, um, African-American, uh, black experiences in society, as well as how that is shown up on philatelic materials. And there's a lot of other events. So uh, I please direct you to look up Esper and see what they've got going on, a very active chapter of the American Philatelic Society. So that's it. I wanted to keep it a little bit brief. That's about all the time I have for today. And I just want to let you know again where to find me. All of my online presences are on my link tree, uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash or backslash, I should say, dissecting philately. But the most immediate way to get in contact with me, find me on Twitter, find me on Instagram, and find me on YouTube. How embarrassing. I forgot to put the uh, the handle here. I don't know if you can customize names anymore on YouTube. So you'll see the link to YouTube in the show notes. You'll see it on the link tree. And I am not going to start recording this over again. And you can also email me. If you really can't find me on YouTube, you can always search YouTube for Dissecting Philately. Drop me an email, dissectingphilately at gmail.com. Thank you for your time. The postage stamp is a flimsy thing, no thicker than a beetle's wing. And yet it will roam the world for you exactly where you want it to. Evie Lucas. These postage stamps, these postcard stamps are going to roam the country sending unique postcards to people. And that's going to do it for me, Dissecting Philately. Have a great rest of your week, and I look forward to checking in with you next time. Thanks.